Good to be together, uh, get to regather this Sunday morning. My family and I, we went to uh, Oregon, Bend, Oregon this last week and got to enjoy a little vacation there. So always fun. The rivers and the lakes, man, it's beautiful up there, just enjoying God's creation. So um, always nice, though, to come home, especially after feeling refreshed. So it's good to see you all. I also got to go down yesterday to San Onofre and join with the youth camp. They're on their trip still. They're coming back today, so be praying for their final day together. They were at Knott's Berry Farm on Friday. They were at San Onofre yesterday. Uh, There was a young girl on the trip who gave her life to Jesus on Friday, so always so good. Um, So they're having a blast at camp and, and be praying for them. I also wanted to highlight one more thing. Um, you guys know Shauna Tobeo. She is our children's ministry coordinator, and she has been so faithful to serve in our kids' ministry. Uh, well, at the end of this month, she is stepping into a new season. She's moving to Texas, and she's going to go to school to be a dental hygienist, and so she's very excited about that. We're excited for her, but there's also, you know, we're a little sad because she's just been so wonderful, and uh, her and her family are just the best, so... Um, we are going to be looking for a new children's ministry coordinator, uh, always open to if you have anyone that you know interested in that role. Uh, but in the meantime, my lovely wife, Leah, will be serving in the interim. So we're also looking for uh, more uh, volunteers to be serving in kids ministry and all the ministries of the church. I mean, the guys here on the, look at the guys on the media team back there, just so faithful. By the way, you like that back row over there, new row to get through? So, fun. Anyways, cool things happening, but I'm ready to get into the Word of God. So, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Pastor Rob gave a fantastic study last week on the truth about false teachers. He tackled all of 2 Peter chapter 2. You guys like how I left that part for him? uh, It was good. But there were a lot of great takeaways from that message, and I want to use the subject of last week's message to spring into what we're going to learn this week, because we're going to see a contrast today. Last Sunday, we learned about false teachers, but, uh, and the ways that you could identify those who do not stand in the truth, but instead those who will stand in heresy, and really it's because they want to fulfill their own desires. We saw that false teachers are sensual, greedy, indulgers of the flesh, despisers of authority, daring, self-willed, revilers of angelic beings, blots, blemishes, and revelers. They have eyes that are full of adultery. Uh, They never stop sinning, and they entice unsteady souls towards sin. They've got hearts that are trained in greed. They're accursed children who follow the ways of Balaam. They are wells without water, clouds without rain. They are boastful. Again, they're sensual and fleshly. They promise freedom, but they themselves are enslaved to sin. They are like dogs that return to eat their own vomit. And they are like pigs who, after being washed, go back to play in the mud. Peter knows how to throw down some heavy words, doesn't he? (laughs) But listen, those words that we learned about last week, they're intended to bring resilient discernment to the sincere mind of a believer. And as the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15, about those who want to distort the gospel, he says, for such men are false apostles 
deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Now, I'm thankful that Rob last week declared to us that wherever truth exists, counterfeits to that truth is going to arise. So we need to be remembering, church, that we are to be watchful. For there is an adversary, the devil, who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking somebody that he could devour. But we are not those who are to be devoured. We are those to be embraced and loved and kept in the truth of God. And so I want us to remember that timeless illustration that was shared last week. That the best way that you can identify counterfeits is to become intimately familiar with the real thing. You know, someone who handles money on a regular basis can discern a counterfeit no often just by it passing through their hands and the feel of it. And so, with the Bible in our hands today, we see this as the truth. This is God's living word. And, and we want to know the real thing. We want to know the real Jesus. And so, with your Bible in your hand today, we're going to continue to be that kind of people, right? Who are well acquainted with the truth of God's word that is found in this book, in the Bible. And so, like I said, that, that's why I say, open your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. That's why it's important that we would bring our Bibles to church and that we would follow along with the Word of God. So let me read our text for today. This is what it says. It says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came once to this earth to save us. And I pray, God, that every single person who is in this room this morning would know that salvation. And as we're reminded of our salvation today, I pray, Jesus, that we would be 
securely kept within your hands. We know that we are, Lord, and we know that you are coming again. For those who believe in the first coming are prepared for the second coming of Christ. And so, God, make us alert. Make us ready as we await your soon coming. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If last week's message was called The Truth About False Teachers, I've titled this week's message The Truth About God's Truth. And so let's pick it up back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, where Peter writes again, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So you, you just got to love the straightforwardness of this first verse where Peter is saying the simple fact that he's written two letters. Verse 1 gives us the understanding that the letters that we call 1 Peter and 2 Peter were in fact written by the Apostle Peter. And we will see in the next verse that these letters that Peter wrote have become to us authoritative scripture, meaning that 1 and 2 Peter are God's word. And if you remember what we learned at the end of 2 Peter chapter 1, it said that the writers of Scripture did not write according to their own will, but they wrote the things that are written here as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is to say that this book, the Bible, is God's inspired word. It's God-breathed. And it has, as we've already learned in this book as well, that it has all things pertaining to life and godliness. In the Bible, we discover who Jesus is, and we receive the promise of what he has done. And these are not cleverly devised myths, as Peter has already stated, that these are historical facts that contain eternal promises. And so simply put, First and Second Peter are God's living and active word to us. And so we would do well to hear it and then to heed it. To be a hearer of the word and then to be a doer of the word. And now, we've already studied the first letter of Peter. And now we're coming to the close of the second letter. We've got one more week and then we're going to study the book of Nehemiah, which is pretty exciting. But we've looked at the first letter of Peter. We've come, we're coming to the end of 2 Peter, and through these letters, what have we discovered? One of the main things that we've looked at throughout these letters, that, that we've talked about suffering, but one of the main things that really drives it is the hope of heaven, right? The hope of heaven, which is promised to the beloved children of God, that believers in Jesus Christ will enter what is called the eternal kingdom of God, a place that the Bible calls heaven. And it's a real place where Jesus ascended to after his bodily resurrection. He came from heaven to earth, and then he went back to heaven. And this will happen for, for believers in Christ. You will go to heaven either when you die or if he comes back to the earth while you remain alive at his second coming, then you will be with him then. So let me restate the two possible ways that you can go to heaven. The two possible ways that you can be brought into heaven. Now, now listen, because that statement right there, left to itself, could be heresy. Like, let's not cut a sermon clip at that part, right? 
Because if I'm saying that there are two possible ways that you can be brought into heaven, your mind should be, wait a minute. Don't we know from, for instance, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved? And so that foundational and fundamental truth of Christianity needs to be kept within our hearts and minds that Jesus is the only possible way to heaven. And there is no other way to salvation other than the death of Jesus. And if it were not so, then the death of Jesus would be in vain. And you could say that God would be unjust in not heeding the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there is no other way. Jesus is the only way, and the cross proves it. He's our only hope for heaven. Well, then what do I mean when I say that there are two possible ways to heaven? Well, for those who have put faith in the person and the work of Jesus, meaning that you've become a beloved child of God by believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, your Savior, then, beloved, you will join Jesus in heaven either when you die or when Jesus comes again, whichever comes first. That is what I mean when I say there are two possible ways to heaven. So I don't want any misunderstanding here, right? Salvation is through one person. And being with him when you die is only possible if you come to Jesus while you're alive. And as you live by faith in Jesus, if he comes again, just as he promised he would, and you'll be caught up together with him in the air if you believe in him now. But if you wait, and if you tarry, and he comes, and you have not believed in him, then today's word is going to tell us about that. So you do understand those two truths, right? You are going to die. <laughs> Hopefully that's not a revelation for everyone. One out of every one person will die, right? And then comes salvation or judgment. And... Jesus is coming again. In fact, the Bible promised that Jesus would come once, and he has. Do you know that the second coming of Christ has twice as many, at least, promises of his second coming as his first coming? 25% of the New Testament actually involves promises concerning the second coming of Christ. 25% of the New Testament. And that is a great reminder for the beloved, the children of God, that Peter is wanting to remind us of. Now, you might be hearing all that I'm saying right now, and this might be new truth for you. Uh, perhaps you don't know that Jesus, who is the Son of God, a.k.a. God the Son, that he lived and he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven and that he promised to come again. Perhaps you didn't know until just now that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Perhaps you didn't know that Jesus will judge those who deny his free gift of life. Perhaps you didn't know that false teachers would say otherwise and that 
this kind of preaching is often mocked, saying that it's narrow-minded, that it's archaic, that it's judgmental, right? But I have a pretty good sense of where most of you are at, that you have sincere minds, don't you? Meaning that the things that I've said so far in this message, they're not new truths that you are learning. These are things that you already know and you already believe. But perhaps you were here last week and you're wondering why I'm rehashing stuff about false teachers or you're hearing me preach right now about these pretty basic truths that there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved and his name is Jesus and you must know him and you must know his gospel if you want to receive the gift of eternal life. And, and, and you're like, okay, yeah, that, that's the gospel. Why would you, I've devoted two pages of my notes to things you already know. Why would I do that? Because that was the practice of the apostles. Look again at verse one. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder Peter's purpose of writing these letters and my purpose of preaching all that is in these letters is so that each week we would remember the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the truth of what he has done and that we, beloved, would be anchored within the word of God. See, if you come to this church, get used to us saying the same things over and over again. Get used to repeatedly hearing the gospel because we're never going to outgrow our need for hearing that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. We'll never grow tired of preaching that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And look, I pray you would never grow tired of hearing it. I pray that there would never be this sense that you would say, come on, preacher, we've heard this stuff. Give us something new. But that each week with fresh faith, you would find yourself being stirred up again and again by the things you already know. And that Jesus dying on a cross for your sin would never fall upon dull ears. It's been said, if it's new, it's probably not true, and if it's true, it's probably not new. So we need to be reminded, right, of these timeless truths of God's word because our memory, doesn't it? Sometimes it settles to the bottom of our thinking. This last month, I, I for some reason, have been eating a lot of salads. Can you tell? <laughs> so... Um, and, and interesting thing about salads is all the good stuff in salads falls to the bottom, does it not? <laughs> What's up with this? You just got to dig through the kale to like get to the good things. And so with a salad, it's, you want to stir up the good stuff to the top. And when you stir something, the good rises up to the surface. And so the word of God is like that. It needs to be heard often, and then it needs to be mixed with faith in your mind, or it's not going to profit you. And that's why we need to come to church each week with our hearts and our minds engaged and ready to hear the word of God and ready to act upon the word of God. 
And so that's what we want today. We want to be reminded of the things that, guys, you already know. And so let's see what those things are as we move into verse 2. It says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Can you see what the apostle Peter did right there? He told us what we need to remember. We are to remember all of the Bible. And Peter puts that into two parts, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. That would be what we now call the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so Peter is saying, remember the Old Testament, the predictions of the holy prophets. They are God's inspired and authoritative words that the prophets did not speak according to their own will, but were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then out of that same breath, Peter says, remember the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter's saying, remember the New Testament, the words of Jesus in the Gospels and his commandment that are taught through the apostles. So look, Peter knew that he was one of the apostles of Jesus Christ and that as he wrote these letters, 1 and 2 Peter, He knew that they were to be on the same level of authority as the Hebrew scriptures that he grew up reading. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, which by the way, you do know that when Peter wrote, he's not. 2 Peter chapter 1, I write to you verse 1, (laughs) and then verse 2. Verses and chapter numbers were added later. Right? They give us a point of reference. But as he was writing these things, he knew that he was writing Scripture and that the Holy Spirit was empowering him to do that. That we have the predictions of the prophets and the commandments of Jesus through your apostles. And with both of those, you have the whole counsel of the Word of God. Now again, why am I spending so much time explaining this to us? Yeah, there's two parts of the Bible. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. We get it. What what else? (laughs) And, And it might be simple for a seasoned saint to know, okay, there's the New Testament, the Old Testament. It's authoritative scripture. There's 66 books of the Bible. Uh, It's powerful. It's authoritative. Yes. But the reason why I'm spending time explaining this is because of this. If we fail to remember the word of God, And if we fail to allow it to continually, by its power and authority, stir up the truth of God within us, we're going to be led astray. The first sign of a deceived person is when they do not trust that this book is true. When people refuse to believe that the Bible contains everything you will ever need to know about God, and everything you will ever need to know about yourself. Too many Christians are overlooking the word of God, and they're looking into other means of truth to find life transformation, and they're just coming up emptier and more confused. Because it's all here in this book. And if you compromise here, you'll compromise anywhere. See, if if we do not bend our lives to the authority of Scripture, then our lives will be bent towards some other authority, usually your own or some other kind. 
And that'll only reveal just how sinful and broken and lost we are without Jesus, who is the Word who became flesh. So what I'm saying, church, is this, is that we must never find ourselves straying away from the Scriptures. Because if, if I ever get away from preaching the Bible, then get away from this church. Because if we depart from the Word of God, then the Spirit of God is going to depart from this place. He's not pleased to dwell where the Word of God is not upheld. And so for the remainder of our time, he's wanting to now remind us of a very particular truth that is found within the Word of God. He wants us to remember that Jesus promised that he would come again. And Peter tells us that there will be people who will willfully forget this fact. But as God's beloved, we cannot forget the fact that Jesus is coming again and that Jesus told us that we need to always be ready. But before we get there, he reminds us that some people are going to think that we are nuts. We're just a bunch of cuckoos in here right now. Aren't you? You're a little bit weird. My pastor used to say that we're just a misfit pack of weasels. But we love Jesus, and we found our way. But some people think you're nuts. Look at verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. See, Peter is saying that there has been and there always will be scoffers, people who will mock the truth, people who will sneer at the word of God. And, and do not be surprised by this. Because this, is, <laughs> this has been happening since the very beginning when Satan tempted Eve in the garden. You remember what Satan said? Did God really say that? From the very beginning, mankind has been tempted to question the truth of God's word. And do not be surprised by this because if people scoffed at Jesus' first coming, what makes us think that they will not scoff about the reality of his second coming? And if they mocked Jesus, what makes us think that we as his followers will not be mocked? You do know that a servant is not greater than his master, so get used to it. Peter says that during the last days, which I remind you, as we've learned throughout First and Second Peter, is the time period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, which means that the apostle Peter was living in the last days and you are living in the last days. So the last days has been approximately a 2,000-year period, and, and that is the time in which we're awaiting the second coming of Jesus. But Peter says that scoffers will come in the last days, sneering at the promise of God, mocking the second coming of Jesus, and verse 4 tells us the kind of mocking you're going to hear. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers in the last days will say that, where is the promise of his coming? Perhaps you've heard somebody speak along these lines. You know, if Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago, and he taught during his time that Jesus was coming soon, and to be ready, then why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Do you really still believe that he's coming? I mean, come on. Where is the promise of his coming? Generations of people have passed saying that Jesus is going to come, but time keeps on ticking. 
Oh, you're a Calvary Chapel pastor. I remember how Chuck Smith used to always be pretty convinced that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. And look, he's dead and gone. And you're still preaching this stuff. Yes, I am. Yes. Things seem to just keep moving along. No sight of Jesus coming back. Why don't you ease off this whole last day stuff, preacher? The day of the Lord stuff. He hasn't come. He's not coming. Get with the times. Anybody ever hear mocking of this kind? How many have heard scoffing like this? You don't literally believe this stuff, do you? Aren't you taking this whole Jesus stuff and this Bible stuff a little too seriously? You know, I don't know. Go ahead, believe your myths. I'm going to keep living how I want to live. Now, Peter is saying that the scoffers will mock the truth of God. And Peter says in chapter 1 that these are not cleverly devised myths. These are facts. And, and yet people do not want to believe what God has done. And so they will mock it. But look at what Peter says the scoffers will overlook when they overlook the truth. Look at verses 5 through 7. For they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Wow, this is powerful stuff. Peter is stating three historical facts here. And he says that scoffers will deliberately overlook these facts. These are the three facts. Number one, the fact that God spoke creation into existence. Number two, the fact that God at one time judged humanity with a worldwide flood. And third, the fact that God will again judge humanity with a day of judgment and destruction with fire. So let's look at those three. First, they overlook the fact that God is the creator of heavens and earth. Man, I saw some pretty beautiful things in Oregon last week. And to me, it testified of my maker. But the wicked willfully forgets. And what a contrast that is to how the beloved are called to remember. People will deliberately reject the truth of God and instead embrace the lie. God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God separated the waters from the land. He called the waters sea and he called the land earth and and. and he spoke. I mean, he's, and he still speaks, by the way. Hebrews says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So everything that is made has the testimony that God is our creator and to him be the glory. But scoffers refuse to believe that, yet they are without excuse for not believing because God has made it evident Romans chapter 1 is a great parallel passage for this idea. I suggest you read it if you haven't read it in a while. But people will deny that they have a creator, and instead they will worship and serve the creature. 
Now, the second fact that is often overlooked is the fact that at one time, God judged humanity with a worldwide flood. Now, this is a very subtle rebuke. Peter doesn't even necessarily mention by name what happened here, but you guys remember Noah, don't you? You know what guy? Bad, bad joke. Not in my notes. Shouldn't have said it. You guys remember Noah, don't you? Go back to your Sunday school memories. It's a well-known fact of the Bible. You remember how the wickedness was increasing upon the earth? And that God would have judged the whole earth, except he saved one righteous man in his family. See, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Meaning that at the time of Noah, there was this expanse of water above and this expanse of water below. But what God did is that one time he brought the waters below up and he brought the waters down that were above. And he flooded the earth. And the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. And anyone who was not on that ark with Noah died. Eight people were brought through the floodwaters on an ark. And all the people scoffed at Noah as he was building that ark. And all who scoffed at Noah drowned in that flood. They were scoffing, saying things like, it's not going to rain. We haven't seen any rain. In fact, at that time, it says that it hadn't ever rained before. What do you mean, rain, old man? You're crazy. But Noah believed in faith, and he set up that ark, and he went into it, and he shut up the doors, and he trusted God. And, and everyone who mocked Noah died because they were mocking God. So you do remember Noah, don't you? See, if God judged the world by a flood in the days of old, what makes us think that he's not going to judge the world at the end of the last days like he did with a flood? But you remember this little fact, don't you? That after God flooded the earth and the, the water subsided and, and the, the earth was repopulated through the sons of Noah that God promised to Noah. And, and as a sign of that promise, he said, I will never flood the earth again. And he gave them the sign of a rainbow. And so every time you look at a rainbow, you should remember that God has promised that he will never flood the earth again like he did in the days of Noah. But he never said anything about fire. The third fact that scoffers deliberately overlook is the fact that God will again judge humanity with a day of judgment and destruction by fire. Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Guys, I don't know all that that means, but it doesn't sound good to me. And, and I know the promises of God, and I know that if I endure the fires of refining now, I will be spared of the fires of judgment that are to come. 
And I believe that judgment begins at the household of God. And I am living my life for Jesus on the straight and narrow path, believing the promise of his word. I am bending my life toward his authority, humbly submitting to my creator and savior. But, but if judgment begins at the house of God, what is the outcome of those who do not believe? Do you scoff at the fact that God created the heavens and the earth by his word? Do you scoff at the fact that God did flood the earth and saved only eight people? Do you scoff at the fact that God is going to judge the ungodly with fire and he will destroy the heavens and the earth in order to bring a new heaven and a new earth? And if you scoff at these truths, you are deliberately overlooking the fact that the Father only needs to say one word to Jesus, return, and Jesus will come to this earth that exists today to bring the day of salvation for those who are godly and to bring the day of judgment and destruction upon the ungodly. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Scoffers in the last days will deliberately forget these facts. But we as the beloved children of God have been called to remember Guys, you will be mocked for believing that the historical record of the Bible is in fact true. That Adam and Eve were real people who sinned after being tempted by a real devil. That Noah was a real man who was spared judgment in a real flood. That Jesus was a real man who suffered and died to bring a real and lasting rescue. That Jesus actually rose again and actually ascended to heaven. And he is coming again without a shadow of a doubt. And yes, I believe that I am a sinner and that Jesus is my only savior. And I believe that that is true for all of humanity. And so that is why I preach this message to bring the real you to the real Jesus because that is the only way of salvation. And the scoffer might say that it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. You say he's coming again. Why isn't he here? Where's the promise of his coming? Where's this fire? Where's this day of judgment? Where's this destruction of the ungodly? Everything seems to be fine in my life. I'm just going to, you know, keep on going as I'm going, just as they've always been. And just keep your religious stuff out of my life. I can't believe in a God that you say is loving if he kills people with floods and fire. Have you ever heard anything like that? And before we get angry at the scoffer, which it can be easy to become frustrated, but before we, we settle in and, and push out the scoffer, you remember that Jesus saved the scoffers. As they mocked him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing That That as they blindfolded him and punched him in the face and said, prophesy, who hit you? He knew who hit him, and he said not a word. And the patient endurance of Jesus shown at the cross is even shown here because this is a fact that is overlooked. Look at verses 8 and 9. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow 
to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You do know what that's saying, right? It's saying, beloved, that the reason why Jesus has not returned to bring destruction and judgment on the earth is because of his loving patience. We look at the last days and we say, really, 2,000 years? And, And about a month ago, I said, there is the possibility that Jesus could come back tonight at 10 o'clock. And it was true about a month ago, it's true again today. There's the possibility that Jesus could come back tonight. Are you ready? See, the, the, the truth of the second, I just, I love, by the way, everyone's like, <laughs> right? Because it's this. There's a tensity in this room right now because The second coming of Christ is a very sanctifying truth. How do you want to be found at his appearing? That'll purify you. How do you want to be found? If he comes back today, how do you want to be found? I know how I want to be found. I want to be found believing in Jesus and loving my Savior. So why has Jesus waited 2,000 years. And and what if he waits another 2,000 years? He's waiting because he's patient. Because he's waiting for you, friend. He's waiting for the scoffers to repent and believe. I'm glad he waited 17 years for me. I'm glad he waited for my family and my friends who have come to know him. Pray waits a little bit longer for some of those people that I love. Who I want to see come to Jesus. Don't you want him to wait for your husband? For your wife? For your kids? For your coworkers? Don't you want him to wait? I'm glad he's waiting. I also want him to come back. Because the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He's patient toward you. God does not wish that any should perish, but that we should all reach repentance. And if you haven't come to repentance, what are you waiting for? He's waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Come to Jesus today. Look, God does not send people to hell. People choose to reject the promise and patience of God. He does not want anyone to perish. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 32 says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. God's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. But he will not wait forever. You need to know that he's waiting for you if you have not come to Jesus yet. But he will not wait forever. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And next, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how heaven and earth as we know it now is passing away. And there's a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. And, and here today, there is an old that is passing away and there is a new that is coming. And here today, that today you can put off your old life of sin and you could put on a new life in Jesus Christ because Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on a cross for you because he loves you. And he rose from the dead so that you can have the promise of resurrection life, so that you could wrap your heart around the hope of eternity and know that whether you die or he comes again, you will be with him for all of eternity. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming quickly. And when he comes, it will be like a thief in the night. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, the spirit and the bride say come. But Lord, the reason you haven't come yet is because you are still saying come to us. You're saying come all to me. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. If anyone desires to come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You're saying, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you something to drink. I will give you something to drink that will satisfy you for all of eternity. You say, come, 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 and, and come to me and buy from me milk that is without price. It, it's free, and there's... You're waiting because you're patient and you're just saying, come. And so that invitation is given right now. God, speak by the power of your word to every heart that is in this room. And the word is being spoken by your God right now who created you. He is saying, come. And if you want to come, raise your hand and both hands in the air and say, I'm coming. I'm coming to Jesus. Does anyone want to come to Jesus today? I see you right back there. To be prepared, I see you right over there. To be ready for when Jesus comes again, you're ready. Or when you die, you'll be ready for when he comes. Amen? Amen.